Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Hey everybody, welcome back to another all-new X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can catch me snicking along on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today it's another X-Men X Wednesday, and we're going to be taking a look at, in many ways, the fallout of the 2021 X-Men vote. Today's issues are Secret X-Men number one and X-Men number eight, and they both owe so much to the events of the X-Men vote. X's for Podcast began as a show covering the 1970s and 80s mutant mania at Marvel, where Chris Claremont took a nearly extinct and relatively unknown title to new heights and ultimately turned it into one of the greatest franchises in the history of comics. But Jonathan Hickman presented such an allure in the world of Hox Pox, bringing the X-Men to Krakoa, that our world sort of shifted a little bit and we wound up trying to do dual coverage of the past and the present. Ultimately, we felt as though our fans were best served by covering the modern age of Krakoa. And so Jonathan Hickman had really been the key factor in pushing our show to the present. So the sort of sense of the Hickman era ending was a little foreboding, to be honest. And it was truly a transformational time for the line, especially with what would follow. Now, the first vote did ultimately see Armor, Banshee, Boom Boom, Cannonball, Forge, Marrow, Polaris, Strong Guy, Sunspot, and Tempo competing for the final spot in the new volume of X-Men. Some of these choices were a little surprising for many fans as Armor, Boom Boom, Cannonball, and Sunspot had been featured in various runs of New Mutants, Forge was appearing over in the world of X-Force by Ben Percy, and Polaris was a mainstay in X-Factor by Leah Williams and David Baldone, which, while maybe wasn't like the world's bestseller, it was certainly a fandom-beloved title. Marvel understanding what a powerful idea it is to create a sense of community for fans to weigh in on the outcome of the title also created a series of X-Men Vote comic strips. These all were written by Zeb Wells with colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, but number one featured Strong Guy and Forge in a story called Equality with art by Mike Henderson. Number two was Boom Boom and Tempo in Overserved with art by Nico Leone. Number three was Armor and Marrow in The Best Defense with art by Emilio Lazio. Number four was Cannonball and Sunspot in Popularity Contest with art by Diego Olortegui. And Polaris and Banshee were featured in number five, New X-Man with art by David Messina. These were released April 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, and 15th, 2021. Ultimately, Polaris would go on to be declared the winner at the Hellfire Gala, and the fallout would see X-Factor end abruptly. And, you know, obviously there's a million more decisions than that. It isn't Polaris won, and so X-Factor ended, truly. But it definitely felt that way for a lot of fandom. So it's really exciting to see that Marvel wanted to push forward with positivity and goodwill and have not just a second vote this year, but also have these characters come together for a one shot. Now, this year's vote features Armor, Avalanche, Bling, Firestar, Gentle, Gorgon, Micromax, 
Penance, Siren, and Surge. I find myself torn between a few there, but I'm going to vote and we're going to see what happens in the future. Secret X-Men sees a team of the unfortunate not-winners come together to go on a mission, and it's a really exciting opportunity to see what happens when a lot of fan favorites appear on the page together. We were really interested in seeing where the narrative took the characters, especially because these are so many characters fans are constantly clamoring for more appearances from. So getting an opportunity to see these characters interact on a big story was certainly exciting. We hope you guys enjoy our coverage just as much as we enjoyed making it. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, you might even like what you see. So don't forget to give us a follow over on Twitter at X's for Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and many secrets week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm TK, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at xnatexgrayx. Hey everybody, it's Nathan. You can find me on Twitter talking about how it's time for tempo. Oh wait, no, that's over. That was a long time ago. At Dazzler AOA. And I'm Steven. You could find me on Twitter at Steven of Wonder and on Facebook as an admin for the House of North Star group. And I'm Nico. And things haven't been the same since you came into my life. And you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And we hope you guys survive this experience because I will be making nonstop Madonna secret jokes all episode long. Oh, Nico doesn't have a secret. (laughs) I have no secrets. Nico's got no secrets, but the X-Men do. A whole team of them. We're talking about Secret X-Men, written by Teeny Howard, with art by Francesco Mobili, colors by Jesus Abertov, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, designed by Tom Muller, and cover art by Lanil Francis Yu and Sonny Go. Well, the votes are in, and none of these people won. So this is our consolation prize. I voted for Tempo. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I want to I drive everyone back in time right so we're gonna break out the marvin gay traveling 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 yeah we're oh that's even better you just won we're traveling 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 back through time and uh we're gonna get a little unconscious here because once upon a time there was an x-men vote and that x-men vote um quite literally nearly broke the internet and things yeah it was intense And our show had a lot of feelings about the X-Men vote. But the thing I can say for sure is as a group, we were pretty definitively a tempo group. Oh, I actually was not certain because that was before I joined. That's good to know. Yes, yes. She she was a solid choice. She remains a solid choice. I think we were all really happy to see her get announced to be a Marauder soon after that. And, you know, it really does feel like this is tempo's time. And this book here is yet another example of it. Yeah. Now, who did you vote for, TK? Oh, gosh. At this point, I can't even... I think I might have voted for Armor. Okay. Totally fair. On the new ballot, too. Oh, gosh. I've already talked plenty about the new ballot. I was was bling all the way and will continue to be. Same. I was absolutely bling all the way. So this was an exciting book because I think, you know, we all had feelings about the the roster of characters. You know, there I I say I think I voted for Armor. I might have voted for Tempo. There were a lot of people 
people that I liked on the roster. And much like Bobby DaCosta, upon seeing them, I thought to myself, well, you know what? This would make a really cool team. These are all really cool people. Why are we seeing more of them? What's going on? So the announcement got me really excited. I've been waiting with bated breath. Yeah, I was just ready for some fun and I got it. What were you guys thinking on the lead up to this title? You know, I have a really weird relationship with one shots and I feel like if it's not going to build to something, it often gets kind of relegated to the dollar bin of canon. And there were things that fight their fucking way out of that dollar bin of canon and really (laughs) wind up meaning something to people. The goddamn number of things that reference Reign of Terra for no (laughs) reason. There's no good reason, but I definitely bought the New Mutants Omnibus Volume 2. That's fucking got it. And I don't know why. So, you know, I feel like when they announced Secret X-Men number one, first of all, is anybody else having a lot of trouble following previews and announcements and solicits in general lately? Like, I I feel like I'm constantly missing them. I have been, I don't know what it is, but I cannot keep track of what the hell is going on anymore. But I thought that was just a problem with me personally. So I'm also having this, you know, difficulty like tracking stuff. And so when I heard that this book was coming out, my first thought was, all right, this is either going to be a exciting moment and a positive you know a positive motion forward for a lot of characters or this is going to wind up being just another giant size x-men run where nothing happens And do you feel like we landed on one or the other? I feel as though there was, this is one of those things where these either were really cute jokes that are going to wind up on a lot of screen rant lists, or (laughs) this could be a canon moment. But it's so hard to tell because the tongue-in-cheek nature that this book approached everything with made it a little difficult for me to gauge how other writers are going to interact with it more than anything. It's not that it wasn't good. It's that it's either going to be a really interesting kind of like the, um, oh my gosh, and you know what? This is such a perfect fucking room to say this to. The New Mutant Summer Special. Yes. Okay. The one from way toward the end of the series. Not the Asgard one, but the, you know, the everybody's, one? yeah, the one that felt like they were all facing off against the Burger King Kids Club. Um <laughs> That one, I feel like the one with the exterminator, or or when after Richter and Boom Boom joined, right? Yeah, and we all have a really good sense of humor about that issue. We know it's silly, we know it's kind of an annual, we know it's kind of like Wheezy needed a little bit more time to just be fucking awesome before she left the book, and it's a lot of fun. And that's where I'm not sure. I just I feel like this is maybe the original New Mutants special where they're in Asgard and it changed all of our lives, (laughs) or maybe it's this other New Mutants special where I'm pretty sure that even Captain Planet was like, uh, I'm not going to touch how 90s this is. <laughs> I kind of feel the same way that Nico does too on this because although I, I tend to feel it's going to go a little bit more like the uh, New Mutants uh, Summer Edition Summer Special because I just don't think any writer's going to really pick up that plot of Deathbird at the end and the whole it happened but it didn't happen because their memories were altered because of it really strikes me for those characters. The only thing that could be furthered is the Shiar plot uh, but those characters aren't going to see the majestic feat that they just accomplished. Steven, what do you think? Is this an ongoing or was this the last we'll hear of this team? So I did not know that this was supposed to be a one shot. I've been really excited for this, <laughs> for this book. <laughs> as an ongoing title 
because I loved the team and then I just ignored any other information that came out about it. But a lot of my opinions on books have actually been shaped by Nico because he's the one who got me into books and we've known each other for decades, literally. And so my opinion tends to usually, you know, err on the side of Nico. So (laughs) so I actually do feel very similarly to him. Um, I I don't know what's to come of the storyline. I I do actually partially think that this was set up for for some other book. There's actually just no way to really know, unfortunately. Yeah, I imagine a lot of it will be based on fan response and, you know, obviously how the sales did, who's available to write it, all stuff we can't really know going into it. But I don't think it's completely impossible to imagine a world where this team finds themselves in an ongoing. Well, I know that going forward, Tempo wouldn't really be in uh, the book anymore, but I, this was a cast of characters that excited me like no other. I was more excited for this team than I was for the actual like X-Men team. So I hope that we do get more of that. I mean, I think one of the really interesting things about a team like this and what makes, you know, what makes it exciting and makes us maybe uh, have more interest than we would in a standard X-Men book is the fact that when we talk about the X-Men, we start to create these team rosters in our head that are completely out there that no one's ever done that you can't imagine ever being on a book together. And it's rare that we get the opportunity to see such a team come to fruition. We all got excited when the vote happened because we were looking at characters that we probably thought most of them didn't really have a chance to be on the X-Men. And soon after that, we got a reveal that we were going to see all of them get some action. And I think it's one of the things, you know, I often complain about the lack of slice of life on Krakoa, the lack of fun. A book like this gives you that sense of anything can happen. There's fun in the mix. There are adventures to be had on Krakoa that aren't intrigue and death and sentient prisons. So for me, a lot of the excitement was in this wasn't, you know, the thing that I imagined, but it was a thing that felt like somebody thought, let's just throw it out there and see what happens. And there's a lot of fun in that. And, you know, it's so important that you said that this is like the kind of book we're always looking for. And this is such a cool cast that it's so fun because there is a thing that sometimes happens where when you put all the funnest fucking things together, it it gets a little muddled. Like, if you were to tell me that Gwenpool, Deadpool, Howard the Duck, and She-Hulk were all going to be (laughs) in one comic together, I would be like, how is the roof going to be on the building? Because everybody's busted through the walls. And I wouldn't really know how to read that book. And I wonder a little bit if this was a few too many fun sassy funky mouthpieces for fandom like and these were my fun sexy funky mouthpieces like i've never felt i've never felt like birdo in my life you know when we were talking about this in advance i was like and you were like look at this it's us and i was like yeah i'm sam and you were like uh, and uh, i was like you're birdo but i i don't feel the birdo all the time right i feel okay. like i feel like i'm the doofy one and i'm kind of goofy and i'm kind of like a look how long my forehead is and like but 
you know, you've got Birdo coming in being like, hey, what's up? I'm funny and I'm sexy and I'm kind of cute. Hey! And like, he had this punch to him that felt light and it felt exciting. And it set this book off on a really great moment for me. But then what happened was it was a lot of that moment, a lot, over and over. And I felt like sometimes I couldn't get to the actual story between the moments of cuteness because the cast was so adorable. It kind of felt, I mean, obviously this whole issue is fan service, but it just felt too fan service-y. Not, not just the cast, but the interactions between the people because a lot of the characters that we maybe hoped that we got a little bit more out of, all of it was safe, cute, fun dialogue, like the flirting between Banshee and Boom Boom. That was cute. That was fun. That was just all very fan service to me. And I don't know that the real lack of the story made it as worth the price of admission. Steven, you want to chime in? Uh, I concur. <laughs> I was often kind of confused about what was really going on some of the time. Some of the time, not all of the time. I did, I did really like some of the character moments. I was confused about certain abilities being used in the vacuum of space but <laughs> but, but uh that's an entirely different subject that i hope oh i have a theory about know. that <laughs> <laughs> i accept i loved the costumes i actually think that this is potentially something we can see going forward every vote i think it's especially if this isn't going to be an ongoing the idea that we can inject a little fun into whatever's going on by pulling together a random team and throwing them into a book that doesn't have to have a lot of consequence is, you know, viable both commercially and in terms of what's available for story. Right, 100%. I actually do think that this was a lot of extremely strong personalities. We had Tempo. We had Sam. We, uh, not Sam, I'm sorry. He is wonderful and I love him, but he is not one of the more sassy people on the team. Uh, we had Beto. We had, even Banshee had his moment. We had Tabitha. Like, this was a lot of very domineering personalities on one team. And I will say this, I actually kind of love that, but I do wonder if because of trying to fit so much personality in one book, maybe some of the story was lost. I would also very probably not enjoy exactly this format every vote. And that's not, you know, everybody didn't say, well, I want it to be exactly this, right? That's not what I heard or anything, right? But I feel like I don't know that every so, okay, the vote should be about fitting the best person to the X-Men title possible. I don't know that the best missing factors all added together will always make an enjoyable story. Because if I had one major complaint about this book, it's that I probably could only name four people that were in it off the top of my head. Like, there were so many people in this. I'm spinning. Like, okay, this was I, a lot of... That's actually very fair. That's a very fair criticism. And, you know, one of the things that was both fun about this book and also maybe started to become too much of a good thing was the self-referential metatextual way in which you know we know this book was cobbled together from the x-men vote the book then gives you the storyline birdo cobbled the team together after the x-men vote because they were having so much fun then it turns out it was actually xandra who did it there is a way in which this book is telling us over and over again like this was here we gave it a shot which is definitely fun but I think it speaks to this idea that like nobody was taking this seriously. Nobody in the book was taking it seriously. I like how in Beto's email
email, they they take a shot at Twitter fandom, basically, it seems like, where they go, it's not like we ran campaigns, but when you want something that badly, sometimes logic leaves you. (laughs) Yes, I actually very much enjoyed that, too. Well, because, you know, it really was about, you know, that's so funny, because, you know, we're talking about how this put the power in the hands of the fans, right? And I don't think that either vote really hit my list of, oh, man, these are the mutants that I really want to see come to the foreground, where, like, no matter who wins, I win, right? Uh, same thing just happened with Marvel's Contest of Champions. No one I wanted won. It's fine. <laughs> but, you know, Kushala was not fine. It's fucking fine. So I find myself... Uh, really excited because I feel like for the first time I appreciate some of these characters a little bit more. Like, Maru and I had a moment. We we talked about it and we're not going to try to stab each other so much in the cafeteria online to pay for our juice boxes. We're just not going to do that. We're going to be much more civil in our elementary school behaviors <laughs> and Maru and I are not going to behave like children. But like, I feel as though because of that to an extent, because of the sort of surrender of seriousness a character like marrow who is so frequently you know um mired in her darkness was able to be kind of like hey what's up you guys i made of bones (laughs) (laughs) we're in space (laughs) case bones hey but i did i did love the evolution of her power and it actually makes sense in a way like if you think about it there was the x-men era right after scroll wolverine was killed that they all went like on a road trip right right before that they went to some weird planet where storm's powers went haywire and gambit accidentally harmed her and they had to take her to the scroll simulator to heal her of the shiar but like it healed her with these like more controlled bone growing powers so obviously she must have died at some point and her resurrection protocol we know changes her powers a little bit or helps them enhance it so like that's how she was able to do what she was able to do i i agree with that and i i really thought she looked badass <laughs> so this is the one that i'm actually letting go of my issues with the most but bowen is very porous <laughs> and i <Okay. laughs> like you know what it's very possible to say well her bones aren't she is a mutant her bones just work very differently so i'm i am just gonna go with that but i did um uh, real quick Steven, Emma yes. Frost just sent a note in uh, Diamond Ink on her Diamond Stationery <laughs> for her Diamond Pen at her Diamond Desk, and <laughs> she says that she thinks that that's a really good idea. That's what it says in Diamond. In yeah. fairness, in fairness, they don't say that she's made of actual diamond. They usually say she's made of an organic diamond-like substance to rationalize why she diamond. To rationalize why she it's way stronger and. <laughs> more durable than diamonds. <laughs> Emma Frost is synthetic diamond. Oh, man. Well, and uh, you know, that's actually it's the same thing as Marrow. She's actually made out of a special type of bone polymer called Bone Thugs in Harmony. And <laughs> God she, damn she looked amazing in this spacesuit. So, and I said, I'm letting it go. I am. I am. But I am not sure if I could do the same thing with the with the other one we're going to talk about, I hope. So uh, hopefully you can get past this crossroads, crossroads. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm gonna be We're honest. Gonna I don't know. You cannot do both Madonna and Bone Thugs in harmony references. Listen, it's just I, too much. Listen, I live my life as a Jean Grey and Emma Frost fan. You're gonna allow me this, okay? <laughs> so Banshee's lung capacity. <laughs> what was listen, that? 
He takes deep breaths. It's big gulps all the way from a man. That poor man, <laughs> entire chest should have exploded. <laughs> and he screamed in the vastness of space. He is, he is the biggest reason why I wanted to read this. <laughs> and I was still leery about that. Hey, but he got to be hot and hit on Tabby. So He I'll did. Oh, can we talk about how hot these costumes are? Uh, uh. Wait, 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 one sec. Uh, sorry, I had to go full Porky Pig for a second because <laughs> I, know, I, I jumped around. I'm sorry, I ping pong. No, no, but okay. I I do want to get an opinion on that. Now, if we were in the like, you know, it's not my problem. That's not a hang up I have. My boyfriend's 48. I don't really care. But and I, you know, I'm 36, so like I don't think age is like a thing like that at all, right? And you know, my other boyfriend, hey, what's up, is 24. So like, I really I have 12 in either direction. So <laughs> I, <clears throat> I, you know, age is whatever. But realistically speaking. There is something a little bit about the way he's flirting with Tabby that, like, I'm not here to limit Tabby's agency. I'm not here to make decisions for an adult woman. I do wonder about the sort of just the the general shift optics. You know, Tabby is roughly the same age as, if not maybe a little bit younger than Teresa. Okay, how old is Teresa? Ages don't matter in the X-Men. We have general ideas, but we can't go on how old anybody is exactly. Yeah, I I, I was just curious. Fallen I, angels and the fallen angels. I think they say she's the same age as the new mutants. So okay, like, I was, was just curious. That was. I, I think I you could probably it. say twenty-two to twenty-five. I was going to put reasonable. her at like twenty-six. Like I personally okay. was going to put her at twenty-six and put like Tabby at like twenty-three. Okay. And so and I, I you know I'm just coming up with arbitrary numbers right now. Like I am not the one above all, and like I'm not like the one who numbers all. And like I sit there with my Wikipedia God power and I just God mod their ages or anything. It's not. <laughs> that but because I, the fact I is Banshee at times you know when Banshee came into the X-Men he looked like a solid 45 and then Generation <laughs> X he's you know 32 right and now he's kind of gone and aged back up so he especially is really all over the place and he was taking care of the Gen X kids when they were barely older than Tabby and so I, I don't really have a problem with it. like okay. I said you know for me age is no big deal but like I do wonder about how that optics out in the long run all said and done well, I think one of the things, like what we've all been speaking about over the last 10 minutes or so are some of these moments where the book doesn't take itself too seriously and it's funny and it's flirty and every one of these ideas can be silly or the joke can be funny in theory. But when they start to stack up, there starts to be a question about, you know, whether it's maybe a little too much and then whether some of these moments that are meant to be kind of funny don't land because of some of the optics. It's a lot. I, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I guess I can, I guess really thinking hard about it, I can go back and forth because, well, <laughs> my dad has been married a lot of times and more, like more than half of those times, uh, all of his wives are younger than me. So, so I think I just have a really bizarre way of looking at this. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't even realize the age difference either. I was just thinking of the, oh, I guess they'd have a really good fun drunk time, but like, yeah, that age difference is kind of yeah creepy and you know it's only creepy because as tk you so aptly pointed out in uh banshee's first appearances he sort of looks like Gollum, so it's really <laughs> difficult yeah. to he looks like a man of 50 if nothing else in his first appearance uh, yeah he was, looks like uh, a fucking monster a like he actually looks a little decrepit and a little bit like a banshee and so yeah. he looks a little deformed and so like and i please don't get me wrong if we're talking about mutants that got the glow up you know marrow 10 points girl 
you did it. You went from being like, <laughs> look at me and my two hearts and my uggo to being like, bitch, bones look good. You know what I mean? Like she has her contour down and I'm really here <laughs> for down. these characters visually growing. So I'm not casting any sort of negative light on the fact that when Banji was first introduced, I would have swiped right so hard. Is that the one that's like, go left. away? Left. Oh, is you swipe left away. to go away? Oh, yeah. oh, that's terrible. I don't, the apps I have are like, click here for yes, click here for no. And so like, yeah, <laughs> I just follow the directions really carefully when it says it. We've been talking about Boom Boom and Banshee and who's sexy and who is not and who should be flirting and who shouldn't. But we have to acknowledge the line heard round the Twitter sphere from our man Bobby DaCosta. I like Boom Boom because she's sexy and Banshee because he's sexy. Canon bisexuality for Sunspot? What do we think? I personally, I don't really like to take that anymore uh, as a as confirmation or the, when that happens, it just feels like baiting. So I I have, a, and I that's not necessarily what the writer's intent is. Mm. I do not try to pretend it is. It's maybe all that the writer is able to do at the moment. But because of that, I just, until it's actually confirmed, I have a hard time accepting it. But I will fantasize about him in my dreams because uh, Beetle is, he has always been one of my absolute favorite new mutants consistently. So, you know, I'm okay with it. <laughs> yeah, that line very much felt, I won't say queer baby, but it almost did. It felt like toying with a, toying with the fan base to, it felt like fan service. It felt like fan service. Yeah, kind of, fan service is the, what it yeah, was. Yeah, it felt like fan service to me to, to have that moment happen because a lot of the fan base online is like, oh, you know, Sam and Beto, they, you know, they're, they're soulmates, you know, and to in this in the year of 2022, if you can't say like, yeah, cool, like I want to whatever, like if you can't come out and say it, just don't hint it and joke it because then it becomes then it can be taken the wrong way. I also think that the design of this, you know, it's I never mean it to sound like I think like I'm sitting here being all suspicious, right? Like, I don't think the X office is trying to run out of their own funeral all Jean Ralphio and Mona Lisa Saperstein style. Going, don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Like, I don't think that's what's happening. But I do sometimes think that when a progressive, thought-provoking, eager in the future of storytelling writer like Teeny Howard comes to the Marvel offices and says, you know, hey, me and Franco are thinking about doing something a little queer with, you know, Roberto. He's such a famous character. It would be really great if we could do this. And Marvel's like, you know, we have a bottom line to balance. We have, let's, we have corporate fear that prohibits us from being as progressive as our fan base would like. And we need to figure out a way to do this. Well, wait a minute. It's all influenced by Zandra and it never really happened. So this gay moment was technically influenced by a third party and now no one remembers it. So, you know, it, it flashes me back to a really important thing worth discussing for two seconds. When John Constantine was first made quote unquote canon bisexual, the reality is it, it was a one-off line by a fill-in writer who actually, if you even read the line, it's the odd boyfriend. It's not that John's bisexual, it's John's had male relationships. And it's a one-off line and nothing about it is ever mentioned again for 130 issues. However, there are instances of John being homophobic in that time. Wow. So 
that's something that as a guy who's read every issue of John Constantine way too many times for it to be healthy at this point, like it just doesn't make any sense. I ultimately am happy with where things wound up. I think the road to get there was complicated. I love his wife. Epiphany is like the perfect character in every way. And, you know, even though that's not current canon, it's fine. But I bring this all up, right? Because it was fandom's love of that moment that allowed Brian Azzarello to be so brave to have Stanley Wayne Manor in the City of Angels, right? And it's a really complex thing when a writer says, I'm going to be the brave one who who gazed that up for you. I'm going to queer him, and it's going to be in a way that Marvel can fight. But it's kind of like how many pieces of fiction do the impossible, the improbable birth that can make the impossible birth possible this thing that shouldn't quite exist but we can just barely push reality to make it happen and then with that thing that x factor already who knows what we can do i have to hope this is john constantine mentioning being queer in a laundromat because it's one or the other this is either you know what a cute fan service moment well there it goes or this could be the thing that springboards a much more open understanding of the fluidity of a character who you know as a young man reading new mutant slumber party his sexual aggression towards sam in a yes yeah platonic but showboaty way like as a guy who you know i make a joke about the fact that i'm kind of doofy like sam but people who know me for real know that a, a portion of that is a sort of like a character performance i am actually a pretty confident person and i think that does kind of come across at times and in that regard that moment with birdo being confident and proud of himself and his and everything about the forwardness of his moment in skinny dipping with sam so imprinted on me as a young man reading it and if i could have this this incredible man of color access his queerness in a way that was real and honest i i would be over them that's like i i can see and i think that writer is doing that also as well with the uh, Betsy and Rachel friendship that's going on over in Excalibur too. So maybe, maybe Teeny's just trying to lay, get foundation and groundwork for this stuff to actually be able to come out in the future. I know Psylocke, even if you look at Betsy, if you look at Captain Britain's sexuality, like they really only allowed her to be bisexual with the female version of her boyfriend at the time. So like the cluster Phantom X stuff, that's the only time they've ever really let Betsy be canon bisexual. So maybe, you know, Teeny's just trying to lay more groundwork for more stuff for people to pick up in the future. I think that's very fair. I actually see it very much in the same way. The way I view Robert DaCosta is that I see him as just another big queer elemental Bobby energy. Uh, I think he gets a lot of the same treatment the way that Iceman did. He has a lot of innuendo. There's a lot of things that you can blink at and wonder. And Both work day, in finance. Both work in <laughs> finance. Wow! Oh, that just makes it so much more blatant to me. When they're powered <laughs> up, they both look like they dress like go-go boys. They absolutely do. <laughs> I I do think uh, she, Teeny, is the person who is very good at laying that groundwork, quite frankly. I do believe that that is what she's doing for Beto in the future. All I can say is that one day, one day, I hope it is confirmed that he is bisexual. And I really hope they don't just stop there because Sam, I'm sorry. 
sorry. There's just so much bisexual energy that he gives off who. So I, you know what? If you're if you're gonna have a mostly queer like character base, let it be in the X-Men. Ooh, can we talk about I love how they changed his nickname from Berto to Beto, which yes. is a little more authentic, like right? It is like yes. ah. It is extremely more authentic. The moment I read it, I was on board instantly because it made a lot more sense to me. I mean, one of the things that I think we've all been talking about and even little moments like the change in Bobby's nickname, there's this book has a lot of little moments that could springboard into something bigger that give us hope for what could come. And I'm wondering what really for you, you're hoping in the long term could come out of this book and be something bigger. You know, I think Xandra is like... She's such a weird conversation, and I feel like she's a conversation that Nathan, you and I get into a lot about these sort of characters, like, that represent these moments between moments, and as we've come to not just be closer, but, like, as we've come to understand each other's fandoms better, TK, I feel like you and I have come to find, like, a lot of these minor little characters that we kind of connect over, and it's so interesting because... There's a world of difference between the popularity of, say, Beta Ray Bill and the popularity of Lady Sif. And I think when you use that sort of, okay, Lady Sif is much older than Beta Ray Bill. She's much more built into the actual stable of the Thor universe. But Beta Ray Bill pops off the page. At the moment, I kind of don't get what it is about Xandra that I'm supposed to connect with. And I think perhaps showing off some of my foolhardy, you know, dumb, cocky, dom energy is I think that like Prince Kubark is, you know, Kid Gladiator was the first time I was ever like, yes, I'm going to dye my skin blue. Like I was, was, I, my life was different in an instant. I was never more ready to have like a wrestler persona in my entire life than Kid Gladiator. And still, he's perfect, right? He's fucking perfect. And I want that for Xandra. I want that level of, yes! And obviously, she's not the same kind of dynamic character. She's a different kind of dynamic. She's a different kind of subtle, powerful. And I want to see her take hold. I feel like, too frequently, she keeps winding up part of her own story in a way where she's the, the the main focus, but she's certainly not the main actor. And I would like to see uh, a little bit less of her being treated like she doesn't appear in every issue of her own story. And so that's what I'm hoping for, that this is a turning point for Xandra now that she's been, you know, so clearly put into an active role. Let's keep running. So Oracle's up to something, right? Because, like, I want to see continued whatever shady shit she's doing, plotting to absorb the throne or control of the Empress from Deathbird to her. I I wouldn't be surprised if in the end we saw that Oracle set up the whole kidnapping of Deathbird in the first place. I agree with that. (laughs) So Oracle was just an antagonist right she was just on the run and she was also very specifically a telepath so i was very confused by like i always believed her name was a a misnomer and b that like like they presented us with this thing that she was so that is what she should be tk did say that that the guard just happens to be what they need them to be at the moment and i accept that i think that is very fair i just think it does make things very confusing i just don't understand how Oracle is here because I could have sworn she was not allowed anywhere near the princess when it when it came to Deathbird. So I why is she here? 
I'm sorry. Like, what, I, I know I went to this is my opinion, but then this is my question. <laughs> so I'm so sorry. Well, you know, like the like the bone spacesuit and the scream, this might just be kind of a miss in terms of understanding how things are supposed to work. Yeah. And it might be that some groundwork just got laid. I mean, we've seen right. the Shi'ar, you know, the Shi'ar are an incredibly important part of how Krakoa is able to do what it does. We know there are times where alternate futures where they're incredibly important. We know that Xandra has had a presence with in, in S.W.O.R.D. and seems to be sort of strengthening the connection with Arako and Krakoa. So, you know, this might all be part of that. This also might have just been a convenient story that didn't have the tightest beats. Okay, I, I accept that. Maybe it's like um that, that one Star Trek The Next Generation episode where, like, you know, like, there's the probe and then, like, you change the bridge and, like, there's this first officer that you have no idea who the fuck it is. Maybe Oracle pulled some mind-wipey shit and that's how she showed up. Which, you know what, would very much speak to the heart of, I could have sworn she was the telepath, so I'm okay with that. Also, more Oracle on the page is not really a bad thing because she is my favorite of the Imperial Guard, uh, her and her many incarnations. <laughs> So. I love her so much. Why does she look like she's going to star in an 80s like, workout Yo, video? <laughs> okay, so... I have to tell you, I was about that. I'm like literally looking at a at the two panels, one on top of the other, that literally give me that exact vibe you just said. And I'm I love the 80s aesthetic, so I'm living for this. Like she even has like like the baggy shirt right over the like the the sexy like jazzercise pants. You know what I mean? Like I am feeling this look for her. You're fond yeah, of her. I'm fond <laughs> of her. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. I appreciate No, when me that. and Steve were reading this, that's the first thing we thought of. We're like, why is she dressed in her 80s aerobic outfits? Like, what the hell? She's like, yeah. perfect, like Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> and I just want to throw out there that, like Nico, Zandro was a big takeaway for me in terms of what I want to see going forward from this book. And I mentioned that because all four of us have hopes for this book that don't really revolve around the main characters, the secret X-Men, or any sort of team going forward. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. This book has been a lot of fun, some great jokes, a bit much, but it was, you know, a nice break from immortal X-Men intrigue and, you know, the many deaths of Wolverine. So I had a good time with this, but I do think that the real heart of it and the things that are exciting are not necessarily this team continuing on. And sometimes that's okay. Well, because I do think that the team is immensely unimportant to the actual story. Yeah, okay. yes. The team is just here. It, it literally could have been anybody because of how the story was set up. Yep. And those uniforms that look like they're the Walmart logo. Oh, come on. Don't ruin that for me. I'm looking at Guido and I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> and I went to McDonald's for some reason. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> oh, actually, speaking of that, I we haven't said anything about this, but the art was beautiful. Oh my god, it was absolutely like, phenomenal. Very specifically, the artist was so kind to, to, to Sunspot. He looked gorgeous, especially in his actual, like, Sunspot mode. He was dark, and, and he, oh my god, I was just, I was feeling this art so much. I feel like they did a lot of justice to, to most of the characters. I love the Rainfire reminiscence to the yes. Sunfire powered up form. I'm like, yes! Cool! We get to see some, like, cool Rainfire-esque 90s 
tiny shit. Literally looking at that page now. Loved it so much. And I think part of what made the art look so different here was I feel like a lot of the art we're getting right now is very um, super clean. And I really enjoyed that this had a, a messier vibe to it. This wasn't super looking to have every pixel in perfect place. There was a sense of experiment with line work that I think really yeah, for sure. worked with the sort of intentionally wild narrative. But this gave me a lot of like Lionel U vibes and I was really feeling it. Which is funny because he did the cover. He did do the cover, which was a huge draw for me. So when I first heard he wasn't doing the in, uh, the interiors, I was like kind of disappointed because I genuinely love him. But then when I saw the interiors, I was like, oh, um, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll take all of this. Thank you. I think another hallmark of a lot of the Xbox right now is a more limited color palette, but then just incredibly vibrant uses of the colors that we do get. And we talked about this in X-Men 7, the oranges and the pinks just pop off the page, but it is a relatively minor color. It's a relatively limited color palette that's used in that issue. And I think we see that a lot. One of the things I loved about this issue was it was a very broad color palette that was very tight in which you'll have scenes where it's, you know, muted metallics, grays and whites, and just, you know, armor and sans forms in the orange and pink that are popping off. But it, it really uses the full spectrum panel to panel, page to page, and creates something that feels organic where it needs to and very, you know, darkness of space and spaceships where it needs to. And I think that's part of the challenge of telling a story for the X-Men in space. The X-Men can look very stupid in space if you're not careful. Yes. Oh, I agree. <laughs> Since I'm not the biggest fan of space stories. And I gotta say, even like in the lettering, like the effects that they put on the pages are absolutely beautiful. Like they, like if you're looking at the page of uh, Sunfire on page uh, 24 of digital, yes. like that boom, boom, boom is just like <laughs> fucking amazing. Like it's just really good, solid use of effects on this issue too. Let's see more of these characters get more screen time in other stories. I know Tempo's showing up in Marauder, so I'm excited to get to learn about more of her as a character besides what we've seen in the past she's really somebody i'm looking to dive into and just i'd love to see a lot of these people get a lot more exposure i agree it really is about seeing them in different constructions oftentimes like what different characters can get out of different characters and it's always great to see beto and sam together but it would be exciting to see more things like marrow banshee tabby and sam that just feels like an odd combination of people that i could imagine together just that four is really unique in a way that i vibe on Oh, oh, I had one more thought too. Like, it's amazing how many potential love interests of Sam's are in this book. You've got yes. Tabby as a like, girlfriend, and then you've got Mero, who had that really weird flirtationship with, like, and then you've got Beto. Yeah. And his wife. The thing that I really loved about this team was that it really spoke to the heart of what Krakoa means to me as a fan. You know, these, uh, as I think TK said it earlier, you know, you, you come up with all these outrageous teams that don't make any sense together, and Krakoa kind of makes that possible. They made this possible. Possible. And this was just super exciting to me. And I'm so excited to see Tempo and Marauders. I really, really loved seeing Banshee on a team. I wish he would get rid of those Munchaps. Uh, but I really, like, this was, this was so fun. This was so fun. It really did feel that whole, oh, this is my fan-made, like, team in my head. You know what I mean? So it was fun in that aspect, for sure. And we just finished up X-Men vote number two. So who knows? Maybe we'll be seeing Micromax paired up with siren next winter sign me up please 
Hey everybody, Nico here again. X-Men has been such an interesting title because one of the things that it certainly is not is the follow-up to John Hickman's X-Men. John Hickman's X-Men was an anthology title in many ways, rotating through many of the most powerful players that resided on Krakoa. We, after Ten of Swords, got a bit more of a mission kind of vibe, but the book ended abruptly thereafter. At this point, Jerry Duggan's X-Men is eight issues in, and it has returned the idea of a centralized team to the X-Men. One of the things this has also led to, though, is sort of that major satellite team. And we've talked about this in a few places. The idea that the X-Men need an event team. You can't really talk about the X-Men without considering the fact that it's hundreds of characters that mean something to millions of fans. So in that regard, we need to sort of have a group that we can focus on when they need to appear in Avengers for consistency's sake, for having sort of a line identity. I'd love it if every mutant we loved could appear in every title, but it winds up a little unreasonable for editorial. So having an event team again, sort of on par with the Joss Whedon Astonishing X-Men era or the Utopia era by Matt Fraction and Ed Brubaker, there's something really clear about having that kind of lineup that you can point to. And that's one of the things that this book is serving a lot of. It's also interesting how so many of the threads of X-Men do source back directly to that vote. We've seen so many characters reveal who they are through their own understanding of the vote, their part in the vote, and how they came to be on this team. And for that reason, I've really appreciated that this did stem from that moment. If you're going to make a team literally point back to a moment and say, yeah, that caused us, it's really exciting to see a writer work so hard to make sure that that moment continues to matter. It's also very interesting the way Jerry Dugan is working very hard to incorporate another side of the Marvel Universe into his X-Work, especially with his Marauders referencing Wilson Fisk, his Devil's Reign X-Men, clearly a part of the Devil's Reign event, and the continued appearances of Ben Urich in X-Men. It's really been a fascinating experience seeing this iteration of the X-Men come together under a writer who has been working in some capacity with the X-Office forever, stemming back to his work on Deadpool and his fan-favorite work on the first nearly 30 issues of Marauders. We hope you guys enjoy our coverage of X-Men number 8 as much as we enjoyed making it. And as always, guys, we love making this show for you three times a week every week with Magic Mondays, X-Men X Wednesdays, and Marvel Fanfare Fridays. This Marvel Fanfare Friday, stay tuned for an amazing interview with Alyssa Wong, where we also have a review of her kickoff issue of this incredible Iron Fist series, and we cannot wait to bring you guys that coverage. Until next time, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, enjoy this last segment, keep snicking along. I can't believe this episode didn't have a something called Wolverine. Like, I'm, I'm really fucking confused. I can't believe this, like, I... Anyway, enjoy this last segment and we'll see ya. Hey everybody, welcome to another segment of X's for Podcast, where we talk about mutants, magic, and Marvel week after week. I'm Nathan, you can find me online at Dazzler AOA, where I am also eating at a buffet usually, but not on a cruise ship. 
Hello, it's me, Steve, and I haven't eaten at a buffet in years now. This pandemic is really stretching on, but I miss them. And you can find me on Twitter at HowdyDuda. That's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. And I'm Steven. You could find me on Twitter at Steven of Wonder and on Facebook as an admin for the House of North Star. And I also would probably not eat at a buffet on a cruise ship. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience, just like if you decide to go on any cruise ship. I'm not the biggest fan of cruises, but this one especially was overrun by MODOK, so, like, that's just a compounded issue. I feel like the first mistake was getting on the cruise. (laughs) MODOK is a secondary issue. Really? A cruise ship in this pandemic? <sighs> Yikes. Change recovering is X-Men number eight. Yay! This issue was brought to us by Carrie Dugan as our writer, Javier Pina as our artist, Marte Garcia as our color artist, BC's Clayton Cows as our letterer. So, what's everybody's relationship with Modoc before this issue? And what did you feel about the inclusion of Modoc in this issue? So, I actually have a little bit of a relationship with him in the book. Not really much. Uh, he's, he's always been kind of one of those characters, and I'm like, really? But actually, I now have a, a better relationship with him through his tv show yeah i don't really care for modok i think the design is really good but i've never cared for the character i do like Patton oswalt's comedy though so that that helped i just imagine that this was a guest appearance from Patton oswalt so when it comes to comic book modok i don't have familiarity with everything that he does i enjoy the comedy that there is in this character most of my knowledge comes from for anybody who is listening and fan of fighting games modok makes an appearance in marvel versus Capcom 3 hmm. and he has my favorite move out of any character ever created for any fighting game where he if he's in the air he can start kicking people with his little feet and <laughs> something about it is just utter like the the dopamine in my brain just goes off every time I see him just kick his little feet at people and <laughs> Modok as a character I don't know if a lot about what char- the characteristics of Modok really appeal to me in terms of a villain that I can really enjoy I have to agree with Steve. I think Modok has a very killer design, pun intended. Really, really great design for what they're going for. But in terms of characterization, the story, and what makes Modok as a villain of, if you're going to utilize it, how is this a Modok-only problem that only Modok can create? I don't know if Modok really ranks up there for villains that I'm like, oh, I'm so excited to see him. Whenever he's used, it always feels a little, a lot, like just like a campy fun fan service thing, but like... Like, campy, yeah. not in a good, fun way, but campy in, like, a, oh, cringe. Just, like, the idea of this, like, super villain of scientist being this, like, funny, like, I'm gonna joke while I'm killing you horribly. Something just doesn't sit right with me on that. Yeah. I feel like sometimes he's a bit of an incel that we're supposed to sympathize with, and <laughs> right. I want that to, like, get the fuck out of my comics most of the time. <laughs> right. I That's actually how I feel. I always expect him to be kind of funny, and then I find him kind of, ooh, like, it just doesn't land all the time do i do have an appreciation for for him more now because i really really enjoyed that show probably more than i should have (laughs) actually i'm glad that jonah mentioned the move from mvc3 because he literally does kick somebody in the issue (laughs) and i started giggling when he mentioned that yeah when you mentioned that i was wondering how much you enjoyed the the leg kicks exactly what's up with his submarine is it like is his submarine shaped like a whale (laughs) (laughs) 
It's very Team Rocket to disguise your submarine as a Pokemon slash animal to be really like, aha, is. no one will recognize this. It really is. I couldn't fully see that. The art was so stunning. Like, yes. even Modok was drawn, like, for lack of a better term, so beautifully. <laughs> the the art and, like, like just the coloring, everything from, you know, front to, like, back was just quite a beautiful experience to read. Yeah, everything art-wise this was beautiful executed even some of the choices that may have been more of a writing choice that i i didn't necessarily love like like i didn't love laura doing that cute little spin with her right. hand on the hips because that's so not laura but it was very beautifully drawn right i did think it was like kind of vastly out of character for her but it was so it was beautifully executed from the artist team that i was like fine i guess i could forgive this yeah because i mean <laughs> like it's, it's the, the hairs on point you know like the coloring on that page especially like uh, i'm looking at it it is page 11 a digital like just like the, the light shining through in the background like it's it's very beautifully executed right. it's, like, it's weird to say that a pose feels out of character for a person but it yeah. does <laughs> i agree i look I just... at them like that is not that is not laura um <laughs> You know, I'm glad you brought up the art because uh, Peanut does a really good Laraz impression and has in past Philly. Yes. Yes. What, something about this like it really it really helps having Marte Gracia on colors for any of this to smooth the transition with Loraz because I feel like they're so uh, joined in a lot of people's minds especially mine I mean Marte Gracia really is the all-star for me on the X-Men book but like Javier Pina's art here feels interestingly like a mix of Loraz for form and then like a little bit of JRJR on the faces like I when I was looking at Laura I keep thinking like why do, why do I feel like this is John Romita Jr.'s Logan <laughs> little bit it's kind of cool i can fully agree there's something about this whole era of krakoa is the art is just on point Mm -hmm. on pretty much every book and it's what i live for i think the absolute most even though i am enjoying the writing on a lot of the books i think we can all agree that the art is just stunning stunning absolutely beautiful they spent the whole issue talking about how modok is you know not to be underestimated not to be underestimated and then like he's just taken out so quickly so easily so like maybe you should yeah this is something i took on a bit to nathan about when we were reading it was like how every single from the first page to the last page everybody's like ah modok's not to be underestimated nick fury says it laura says it lots of people say it and then like no he's actually super easy to take out uh as usual (laughs) he's you can absolutely underestimate him it is fine Modok has a little bit of arcade vibes where the threat and idea seem a lot more dangerous than they actually really are. Arcade, personally, in my mind, is probably the weakest X-Men villain. I love Arcade. Uh, He is so bad. He's so bad at being an X-Men villain. Yeah. Uh, We love Arcade. See, like, I love him, but I love him for what I believe he could be. I I think he was actually used very well in Hellions. Mm -hmm. I just think that he's supposed to be the Marvel version of the Riddler, and sometimes he falls flat. That is such a good... I've never thought about it that way. I've never thought to compare them, but he really is, like, the Marvel's DC Comics is the Riddler. Yeah, and I just, I want to... Because, like, I mean, just the very theme of his name, you know, his name is Arcade. Like, you know, games, puzzles, things like that, and I... Pinball machines. Pinball machines. 
machines. <laughs> <laughs> but to pivot back to Modok, who's the actual villain of this book, Modok is a very serious threat. You know, his aim scientists and all these different things he does for science. I feel like this book was trying to say one thing, but the action and the art tell us something completely different. I don't know if this was the best use of Modok as a villain, because truly, he created a terrible situation, but he himself didn't really do anything. I think Modok is genuinely only in this issue so that there is something to do while Sink and Laura have their talk and develop a little bit more of like Cyclops's feelings about the Captain Krakoa outfit yeah modok is just like he's just a villain cipher to be in here to move the plot along a little bit the sink and laura storyline is getting more interesting rather than the will they won't they thing although i i gotta say like completely honestly if it took 217 years for you to get a first kiss sink she is not interested in you laura is a lesbian you need to to just let that go like (laughs) the only two mutants alive after darwin left and it was hundreds of years like yeah i i get it she got bored Laura, Laura is a sword lesbian. I will not hear anything else about it. It's 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 just not working. If after two hundred years, so the on again, uh, off again thing with Sink and Wolverine. I was really happy with uh, Sink's uh, commentary at the end, where he says that he cannot expect her to live with the ghost of a hundred something year life. So I'm kind of at first I was like kind of rooting for it, but now I'm like I'm kind of just happy that that's over hopefully if that makes sense i mean i don't it's hard to it's hard to imagine that it's over especially since he says he's still thinking about laura you know and that it makes him almost want to leave the x-men i'm glad that scott doesn't let him because sink should not leave the x-men for love of laura who is not (laughs) used in this fucking book (laughs) oh god i know speaking of people who did not get used in the book oh that's that's a lot (laughs) how about polaris gene and rogue uh they had a very tuxedo mask moment yes didn't even do anything well hold on they actually did stuff but it was completely off panel and not important to us apparently as to how anything else was done my favorite panel in this entire uh, issue is like weirdly it, I just love watching Laura eat I think it's great that she's hungry and yep. yeah she's just always hungry and I like that. in place of having an actual character that is what we're getting <laughs> but it is, it is great to see her hungry and I thought it was really cute that Sink uh, used Jean's telepathy to lift her like to cushion her and lift her up so that she could keep eating her plate of food to the to the blackbird but also i was like all right polaris is just standing up on top of the plane which crazy <laughs> and she could be using the the metal powers to lift her gene is just like you could just you could do it with your thing I, I love that they have that cute like we're kind of intimate now moment together uh but it, it just underscores how much rogue and polaris did not do anything Speaking of which, have we ever talked about the fact that Laura has a full exoskeleton of adamantium now? I was wondering when she says, I am not a strong swimmer after returning from the vault. That's why I was like, what's going on here with that? So that means she's right. used to walking with all that heavy extra weight on it. That's got to be that's got to be why she's not doing a lot in X-Men, right? <laughs> she's never had Wolverine. So for her to be able to do that twirl and that hip Oh man, that, that must have thrown out her hip. Yeah, it's something that I've been curious about since Lorna did use her 
as a puppet, but I have to say that something that I really loved about Laura is the difference between her and Wolverine, where she was much, a much faster fighter because of the fact that she didn't have that skeleton. Yeah. I feel like it kind of cheapens her to me. Mm. Like, why did she need that? I think it's nice as long as she can handle it. I had totally forgotten that that was even the case. Like, if she's a faster fighter than Wolverine, it's plainly not evident on panel most of the time. Yeah. Um, like, I think it might have been more during all-new Wolverine, but, like, I feel like that element has been not played up enough for me to remember it in the intervening years, for sure, because I've read a lot of Wolverine. Yeah, and that's fair. And she, She's just, she's always been considered faster. She's always been considered having a stronger healing factor because of the fact that her body is not trying to make up for the skeleton. So right, this poisoned. just feels right. So it just feels like such a weird, like, thing to, like, have to include. It almost felt like this issue was him being like, yeah, so there's an explanation for this. And uh, let's just say that this is it. It's a common trope you'll see with a lot of children characters. If they have the same power set as their parents, they often have better versions. I think one of the, my favorite example is Siren. Siren's abilities compared to Banshee's are a lot stronger. I think Siren has a lot more power in what she mm. can do with the power set that she's given comparative to Banshee. Not to say that Banshee is weak yeah. because I think Banshee, as proven in Secret X-Men, can do a lot of different things. Oh, God. <laughs> right. Uh, as as you said, Steve, Cable is another great example. While even though his, yes, his yeah. telekinetic Much abilities would telekinetic. be uh, probably rivaling, if not stronger than Jean's, if it wasn't, you know, taking a lot of power to hold back the techno-organic virus. Yeah, it's definitely more stronger than Jean's, and it's also stronger than his actual mother's. <laughs> Maddie's was very little telekinesis, if, <laughs> On the, if any. Uh, bright side, at least she's the only person I trust to be able to eat that buffet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's already eating off her own damn fucking claws. So I mean, like, she's not worried about disease spreading there. And, and, and her healing factor being in overdrive because of the whole adamantium skeleton. Now that's probably why she's always eating. Okay, that's a good character beat for her. It's it super bothers me. I like the the whole like healing factor from like eating right. germs stuff because like you don't heal away the germs like you can heal away the if you get a parasite you're not healing the parasite that's not a great point well uh, you are right steve you don't you can't you don't cure bacteria it's still there so is it is it like is there like certain ecosystems that are growing inside of the wolverine family so how did we feel about the battle between Captain Krakoa and Modok in Sing's head? I thought it was extremely anticlimactic. <laughs> we, we know where you live, meaning we can go into your head and embarrass you while you're doing some barbecue. But I mean, he is barbecuing the X-Men's head. There's a lot of barbecue in Jerry yeah, Does Jerry just yeah. have a thing for barbecue? Which is fine. He's allowed to. It's just, you know. I don't mind the barbecue. I thought it was a good visual. I just... I was expecting, like, I guess a little bit more from the scene. Like, the conversation seemed a little bit faster than I than I wanted it to go on for them to meet in his head. You know, the visual was beautiful. And again, it felt like a callback to the to the actual, like, uh, the Easter egg to the series in a way. But I just was not very taken with the resolution, I guess is the word. I did not think it was fulfilling as, a, as an ending. What's going on in this issue feels so, like, just jointed it feels like there's like a couple of different stories being told and this kind of got all mushed together for one issue i don't fully understand the 
the reasoning for this being the final confrontation. I, I don't understand why it, why it was Scott. I don't I don't understand a lot of what was going on or why exactly this was like this is how we're going to defeat Modok and stop him from messing with Krakoa. I feel like there's like a number of other different ways to either get to this point to do the same thing, but maybe have it feel a little more cohesive. Maybe I think that's just my problem with this issue is that it doesn't really feel too cohesive. I think there's a lot of different story threads that were trying to be told and Modok was just thrown in and chosen as the villain for this. But I, I, I feel like you could have just picked a random villain, like just made one up for this issue, chose an obscure one, whatever. It didn't really need to be Modok. Mo- there's nothing here that specifically is about Modok that you're like, oh, it could have been anybody who created this, you know, laced all the food or whatever to make people angry and violent. It, it, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, I, it feels like Modok was thrown in because like Modok is maybe a, a, a favorite of either the artists or writers or, you know, just like for the fun background noise aspect of it. But yeah, you're right. It could have been literally any villain. It could have been a new villain. You know, it's a vehicle for the Scott story getting smushed together with the Sink and Laura story into the Scott is mentoring Sink story, which, you know, that that works. That's pulling together a lot of plot threads. I think the end point of Scott mentoring Sink, I think that's good. I like that. And I like that aspect to that relationship. Something that I always really enjoy when it comes to any kind of team book is the interbonds between each teammate. I think it is an interesting dynamic of Sink and Laura. I actually think that that I this idea that Sink is still into Laura after spending because he remembers spending so much time with her, but she doesn't remember any of it. And it is, I think that's a really great idea for for a relationship and conflict and storytelling. I just don't know if the road getting there was as smooth as it needed to be. Yes. Because I think the endpoint right. was good, and I think the yeah, yeah. the dynamic in these relationships that this book is highlighting is great i just don't know if the entire vehicle and the road were smooth to get there i think that because this is the x-men book we expect action in every single issue and i think that that's what duggan was trying to present to us while also trying to get those character moments in even though i think this probably would have uh been better serviced as just a slice of life issue i know that they're not always the most popular types of issues when it comes to your costumed superheroes with epic abilities but i love that stuff i love character moments i don't need to see them kicking ass in every single issue. I just feel like a lot of these, a lot of the Modoc stuff was just kind of bloated in, and would have been better if it wasn't even in here. Maybe it was saved for another issue where he could have fleshed out that storyline a little bit better and we could have gotten a better resolution mm-hmm. to Sink and Wolverine and maybe a little bit more with, with Captain Krakoa yeah. and maybe see Jean in that absolutely fabulous outfit. I completely <laughs> agree, Steve. Like, I I feel that, and you said like you don't know if that's popular with people. I think it is. I think it's extremely popular yeah, among X Men fans issues. to get slice of life issues. <laughs> yeah, I yes. think this could have been a baseball issue. I think Modoc could have been a baseball. See, if they done it as a baseball game in uh, Central Park, like the little Negasonic teenage warhead scene would have actually made sense. <laughs> like, oh, did that happen in this issue? Yes. I forgot about that. If well, this pink-haired person in it is her girlfriend, is this supposed to be another movie version of Yukio? Because I will not allow Yukio to be overwritten by a movie version. I thought it was Pixie for like a hot second before I realized there were no wings. I could get down with Pixie having a tryst with Negasonic Teenage Warhead. I'm going to be real honest. I really thought the hair was purple. And I was like, is that Betsy? What is Betsy? <laughs> oh my god. Like, no, that cannot be Betsy. That would be illegal. 
Oh god. Becky has had some inappropriately age inappropriate crushes in the past before. <clears throat> Doug Ramsey. But um That was I always read that more as like Doug was interested in her and she thought it was no. cute that he had a teenage crush on her, but like definitely uh, there's some stuff in there that's creepy from Betsy as well. And I would yeah. just it's like one issue yeah, I prefer no, never mind, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Um but I am in full support of a <laughs> title about Negasonic Teenage Warhead and uh, her harem and team of girlfriends. Oh, I will admit, I was I would love that. about that. Uh, you know, she's like staying in uh, Elwert. Like, so, like, okay, I'm, I'm down with that. I do love some very overt sex-positive queer representation oh, in God, the yes. main X-book, yes, so I'm yes, here. And yes, poly representation. Yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> the X-Men have been yes. uh, almost subtle wink-wink, nudge-nudge to non-monogamy in some way, shape, or form. And, like, this is, you know, just, just directly just stating that. This is literally... <laughs> Yeah. yeah, definitely poly representation, and it's nice to see two girls kissing on panel in a way that is cannot be construed as semi non consensual or harassing <laughs> somebody at their work. So it's nice. yeah, it's not played for a joke. I mean, it's not really played for a joke unless you take the joke the way that you're like, ha ha, she's got a lot of girlfriends. But it's really not played for a joke as much as you expect from Dogen. How did we think about the reveal of? Sink's reason for one getting the votes during the gala and his reasons for wanting to join the team. I thought it was I thought it was wild that Sink was like, "Yeah, I did that. I didn't tell anybody. I know it was like pretty bad." And Scott Scott was like pretty like upset about this the last couple issues and like really like, "Oh my god, am I gonna have to go to war with Emma Frost, my my one true love, while my wife is looking on?" And then like he he's just like, "Yeah, I did it. Did I get you in trouble?" And Scott's like, ah, "I was fine." I thought a whole war was brewing and nope it was just thing which is nice because that honestly i I think that's the most in character thing for scott to like see a youthful x-man make a mistake and be like ah whatever like he literally does that part where he's like i've done far worse and accomplished much less while trying to protect our family and then does like a little yes manga huff yes at first i was like okay how is this gonna go but i actually really liked how that story was told that little bit i think that that was a really good character defining moment for him whether it was right or wrong and even the realization that, you know, he did make a mistake, you know, he he did see what, what uh, Ben was writing and he he was appreciative that they were seen as miracles and it made him feel really guilty. He'll think twice about doing it in the future. But the act itself, I thought that was really interesting on his part. You know, he really wanted to protect, you know, what they've built. Yeah, it's I, I feel like it's in character with the sync we met in the beginning of Generation X, yes. where he's like really headstrong and just kind of does things, is, is very confident in yes. that he's gonna it's, it's gonna work out for him i feel like we haven't seen that guy in a long time so it is nice to get a wrinkle into something beyond being just like unutterably cool which he usually is yes it did feel like a little bit of of a throwback mm-hmm. moment for me and i was so about it yeah i mean this is the guy who had probably one of the sexiest yes. hellfire gala outfits like that that pink pattern jacket <laughs> that's so good that so i good. wish he would just start wearing that as his regular I costume do love like the it's costume so he wears, it's so good he, yeah he screams like a little bit of like darwin to me so that's why i'm really really like i would love for a lot of them to adopt their hellfire gala outfits yeah he darwin and uh laura all got similar outfits for going into the and it's funny that when they came out scott was like oh we're not doing that anymore 
thought that was a good idea, but it was like five months ago and we've moved on. This letter from Forge to Cyclops about the Captain Krakoan outfit. Like, one, like, how do we like the idea of creating a battle suit for the non-combatants? And then two, was everybody as fucking excited as I was to get the nice little soft serve <laughs> mentioned in there? I was very happy to see soft serve. I know Buckman was happy. I saw him celebrating on Twitter. He deserves it. He should be proud. Uh, it's nice to see our it's not really how that works. X-Men show up. Yes, yes. Soft Serve is a Bob Quinn original that he has had in his mind for years since he was a kid reading comics. And not only did he get to put her in the background of it was the Wave X issue before the Hellfire Gala Wave X issue, she is now being really canonized in this. Forge that I still to die for. It's the best damn ice cream he's ever had. And she's going to need her country to be there for her someday. <laughs> I actually think it's a fantastic idea. It's something that I, I I had kind of thought about in my head. Like, well, why don't they make more things for, for mutants like Jazz? You know what I mean? Like, who I'm, like, weirdly obsessed with and always go on my he's an Omega-level mutant of blue-skinned um, mutants rant. <laughs> Even though I really hate Omega-level mutant as her. But I just, I think this was great. I loved seeing it. I think it makes so much sense sense they have this technology like he literally doesn't say like they need to they need to always fight for their country and don these it's like in an emergency and i think that makes so much sense and i i just love it i love what it represents Yes, and I, I also want to bring up while we're on the subject of mutants creating food with their bodies that Fauna also makes coffee in a way that is strongly hinted what? to be What are we saying? Gross. Uh, you know what? Don't even tell so, me. I'm fine not knowing. Coffee is the one thing I don't want to ruin. That's, what that's I think that's exactly what oh. Magic said on the page when she found out. <laughs> oh no, what the coffee is. I also really liked that if you need a technologist, I suggest Bling. Uh, that was my that was actually my favorite line because. Because I, it just makes her so much more interesting to me, and I just want to see Bling used. Agreed. <laughs> yes, I, I agree, and I like that Forge turned down a chance to be on this. I mean, he's already got the secret X Men for yep. whatever value that has. He will be busy, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully, if the Shi'ar need sleeper agents, Forge is there. Oh, dear. Oh, oh, sleeper agents. I really like what Forge is trying to do. One of the things that I appreciated about Grant Morrison's new X-Men was Mr. Zorn's special class. And those were the mutants that were never going to be X-Men. It had Martha, who previously wasn't No Girl, because No Girl was a different character. They retconned to being Martha. Sarabella. But back then, she was just Martha. She wasn't... (laughs) She was just Martha. (laughs) It had Basilisk and that incarnation of Beak. So, and these were characters that had mutant powers that were mutants that had visible mutations but they were never going to be the superhero they were never going to save the day really and i am appreciative of forge and the characters and the writers are thinking of ways of if we were if you wanted to make these characters have their moment their chance to sign to actually be in the forefront if that was something they were interested in we have a way of making them that we have a way of giving that character that we also have a way for these characters to help defend krakoa if the need should arise I really appreciate that. I appreciate that. I, I love that you called out new X-Men for that because we I, they did explicitly yeah. shout out Ugly John on the page and it was very good yeah. to see. I've been wondering if Ugly John was Yay, on Krakoa yeah, and he is. Yep. Now I just need to find out if the girl, if the if the crew from the Heartbreak Hotel from Beauty and the Beast made it to Krakoa. They're probably oh, yeah, with the Morlocks possible. in Arizona, I would imagine. Okay. 
they seem too cool for Krakoa, and, you know? They got yeah. their own little clique. Especially the girl who changed colors of the flower, who's like, yeah, I flunked out of Westchester. Yeah. I've had so many thoughts for Beak, by the way. I'm so amazed that you just brought him, like, brought him up, because I've literally been thinking about him immensely recently, and how much I loved uh, the, uh, was it Here Comes Tomorrow uh, version of him? The like, Oh, Tito? I love Tito. So I was actually thinking, like, if the mutants come back stronger, imagine if he can actually get closer to that look. Yeah, but he'd have to keep getting killed. And I think he's been through enough in the Krakona. That was one of my least favorite lines. I can't even, like, handle that. (laughs) I hate that because it happened and it it is over now. And it, it did not resolve in any way that was good <laughs> yet he does not know where the mm-hmm. maxin and man and decided to replace his memories that was all done for them to get some character development and it didn't work <laughs> yeah they didn't learn so instead now we as the audience we just look and pity this poor character and angel by the way angel's an amazing character yeah i love both of them i i thought ed brisson did too <laughs> I don't necessarily love the direction we've gone with her since uh, Morrison's run ended, but I, I'm just happy she's on Krakoa, I yeah, guess. I, I just wish she would have a lot more of her edge given back to her. Yeah, she's been housewifed to a degree that has like, bent her out of her character. I know that she still has a slight edge, but she's so much more stepford than I would like, than I would think. Uh, she's Angel not a cuckoo. <laughs> not that kind, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> or fortunately, I guess, depending on how you look at it. I believe John should have been Captain Krakoa from the beginning, huh? That could have been so interesting, to be honest. Mm. That would have been, I would have been personally very pleased, but <laughs> I know comics are not made for me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm really excited. I like that Cyclops gets to gets to don this, this alpha prototype. I do look forward, though, to the day that he gets to turn off the, the disguise and reveal himself to be Scott again, uh, because I think that Mm-hmm. I think that Duggan is building to a really interesting story with that, and, and I'm excited to see it unfold. Uh, I just kind of hope that he maybe does get to keep the ability to fly at the very least, because now I feel like he's been given this ability. He can use that and his mutation and be fine. Fairy Legion of Superheroes, he's got a flight ring. Yeah, he, he used to have a jetpack, so it's not like... <laughs> no, he Scott, could just, Scott could just go get another jetpack. I know Hope Blue is old one up, but it's, he's got money. Like, he doesn't have the suit. I actually do like the design for Captain Krakoa. I think it's pretty cool. He kind of looks like Benny's design from Children of the Atom, which is, you know, a oh! title we have not talked about in a very long time. Oh. But that's yes. what it kind of looks like. You're right. It does. Yeah, Marvel, Marvel Boy. Marvel Boy? Marvel Boy, yeah. Was he Marvel Boy? Marvel, Marvel Guy. Yes, it was Marvel, Marvel, Marvel Guy. Guy. Marvel Guy. You're absolutely right. I gotta say, I like this as a Marvel Guy outfit. Honestly, that would be super cool. I like it as Ugly John just because Ugly John could be pretty. It's a very nice outfit. I would love a book of Captain Krakoa, Captain America, and Captain Britain, personally. I You could keep that. But... <laughs> Why? Oh my god, I think that would be so interesting. Especially since especially since two of the captains are mutants. Like, that would be phenomenal. Are they going to berate Captain America for not doing anything for the mutants? Or are they going to just spend the entire series talking about how Krakoa is an imperialist nation, just like America <laughs> and Britain? Hmm. Sounds, oh, I don't know. I think I could myself but there's there's other captains that could be really fun to add to the book too yeah you could just add the captain yeah yes you can add the captain captain, (laughs) yes i love him so much and i really now we're talking now i really need next wave back what if it was just the captain flag smasher and captain krakoa i mean i wouldn't hate that either (laughs) 
<laughs> you do not like Betsy. I, it's not that I like Betsy. It's that I don't like Imperialist <laughs> captains. Like I, I, I like Steve Rogers a lot, oh, but like Captain America does not do it for Captain me. Right. He used to be one of my absolute favorite characters. Like I said, I like Steve Rogers a lot. I like Sam Wilson a lot. I the the Captain America moniker for me has it. It hasn't felt the way it used to in a long time. I think that there have been a lot of good Captain America series, and I used to read a lot of Captain America series, you know. But I just I, I like Steve when he moves away from that. I like Sam when he moves away from that. I like all Captain America characters when they kind of put down the Captain America bring back and Nomad. an identity for themselves. Yes, Nomad. Right. Yes. To bring it back, the fear of it is that Captain Krakoa could become the same type right. of yes. figurehead as Captain America could in that. So, yeah, so, I don't like that. Yeah. See, I saw Captain Krakoa and I was like, next they're going to put out a flag and then I'm going to have to just like be disgusted with this whole concept. How has that not happened? Like, I'm sorry, don't, but you, no. they're gonna do it. You know it's don't gonna happen. It. I don't want it to happen, but... Yeah, I guess we'll just forget about Krakoa as a revolutionary right. non-human fucking I mean, state society, but... They're I mean, like, who knows? gotta Maybe play the game. Really but I, yeah. I just feel like it's humming. Yeah, they've seen. They've seemingly wanted to for a long time. I, like, again, like, it's... Oh, man, I would just really love if it was not exactly like a human nation, <laughs> In all the bro- bad ways, but you know that's. <laughs> I know that there's a story to be told there, and you know, pride comes before a fall. And Hickman does like to write super arrogant people leading people how they think best, so it makes sense that Duggan would pick up on that and go right. nationalism. I... But you know, and those are threads I expect to be picked up in Immortal X Men, which yes, we got a little nice little nod to in Yurik's notebook about the Immortal X Men is the line, so. <laughs> I still think that Jazz should be the next Captain Krakoa. Now, who's Jazz? So, <laughs> Jazz, his uh, his mutation is that he's Lou. So, <laughs> no, just like Rhapsody <laughs> has another ability at the very least. <laughs> Jazz, Jazz is literally, but is also blue. <laughs> a blue person. He's just yeah. He is oh, so Jazz does not have blue. any powers he's besides the Omega being level mutant of blue mutants. <laughs> he is he the, is the bluest that a mutant could possibly be. Blue. No other mutant could surpass the blueness of his blue, which makes sense. I I, I don't know why I'm so obsessed with him, but I am. Hey, we I, I love oh, Cat's Eye. Like she's a big purpy, big should love Cat's Eye. She's a big goofy cat, like, and I like am obsessed with her. So I get it. I get it. I love on the Marvel Wiki when you look under powers and abilities. Under abilities, mediocre rapping skills. For yes. Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait, mediocre rapping skills? skills. Oh no! He wanted to be a rapper. So he was actually originally, I think, supposed to be a a satirical version of Eminem. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh so no! I kind of wish we would do oh, something no. else with him. <laughs> oh god, I'm, I'm looking at a picture <laughs> like, of him right now, and do something oh, else no. with him. Let's let's make him Captain Krakoa, everybody. Oh, if we're talking about characters like that, this, again, <laughs> a very weird pivot and tangent. Let's maybe do something with with Redneck. <laughs> Maybe not. Oh my god, I forgot about Redneck. <laughs> I think a lot of people did. <laughs> And for good reason, not only is that name, oh boy, maybe let's not do that to a character. <laughs> Didn't Redneck yeah, show back was, up in New, New Warriors, right? and then he yeah. was in a space suit, though. Yeah. So we'll give him that. Yeah. Although I'm I'm the odd fan of Wonder Woman Jewelry, so. Oh, no. Nathan, we need to have a talk after this. <laughs> Wait, what about what about one of the two uh, el- elephant uh, mutations? Mutant. Mamamax and God, what Mamamax? was the other one? T- Tan- Tantric or whatever his name is. Is there another one? Yeah, That's not he was name. in 
I think he, he was uh, in Extreme X Men. Actually, his powers are not great, but I do like that he's an elephant. I'm, look, I'm looking at Jazz right now, and he's wearing a Fubu hat. <laughs> he is wearing a Fubu hat. God. <laughs> cool. Any final thoughts on this issue? No. I'm with Jonah. The only thing I have to add is hashtag Jazz for Captain Krakoa.